Welcome to the Brave Church Podcast. We are honored you've chosen to listen and pray you're blessed by this talk. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit bravechurch.org. made it. God bless you. Um, Today I want to talk about two ancient treasures uh, that are timeless Christian traditions. And they're invitations from God to you and I to rest and to center our life. They're ancient practices that have been proven for over 3,000 years. And I, you know, I don't know about you, but I love to read. I love to learn. Uh, And in this last decade, some of the best books ever have come out with really, really great data about how our brains work. Charles Duhigg uh, wrote a book called The Power of Habit, and it's the best I've ever read on the subject of how habits are formed and then how habits are replaced. And no matter who you are, you know, whether you're a student, a single adult or a parent, business leader, athlete, technology expert, a bragging grandparent, no matter who you are, we all want to live our best life. And we want to see our family do well. We want to see our kids do well. But there are forces that are alive in our culture that are driving us. Just in the past two decades, our world has now been described as a 24-7 world, one that never sleeps. In fact, even ministries have taken on the challenge and joined in just proudly pointing to we're a 24-7 ministry. And so technology is driving us, and the busy treadmill of life is going faster and faster. It wasn't too long ago that kids' sports leagues did not play on Sunday, and that created a built-in margin for families on the weekend. Those days are gone. It used to be that parents would ask their kids to choose one sport per school year. Now kids play sports all year round, and parents are traveling with little kids spending thousands of dollars in travel and gear. I mean, just crazy. And they're way in debt financially. It's growing increasingly difficult to connect with people. You go to lunch, you have an appointment, you're talk- before you know it, you're talking to the top of their heads because they're texting somebody in a conversation that isn't even present physically with you. So these signs of busyness leads us to emptiness that's all around us. And today, I'd like us to take a fresh look at our lives emotionally and spiritually and look at our patterns and our rhythms of our day and our week. What are the key ingredients to living healthy emotional lives and spiritual lives? We know that mental illness is on the rise in our nation, and there are a number of reasons for that. Nutrition, diet, addiction, prescription drugs. Uh, People are just trying desperately to cope, and the statistics are going higher and higher and higher. Our lives are like an iceberg in the sense that we each publicly see one another, but we only see about 10% of who one another is. We don't see the mass underneath the water of what lies in each of our lives. Um, I had a dear friend that I connected with uh, at Starbucks on a regular basis, and just a couple weeks ago, he, he just took his life. And uh, I had prayed with him just a couple weeks ago, and, and, and now he's gone. But I had no idea that that was going on at all in his life. We, we, we connect with each other, but it's a very surface, oftentimes, level that we connect. Or, or we don't, we're not willing to share with one another what's really going on. And so within our heads and within our hearts and deep within our souls, there's this battle that's going on for peace and emotional and spiritual well-being. 
What does a life of peace look like? What does a quiet life look like? Is it possible? I think we can all see that, that each of us is trying to create a good life. We want that for ourselves. Why wouldn't we want that? But there remains many unanswered questions about how do we do that? How does that happen practically in my life? And these are the things that we're going to explore over the next two Sundays together. And today I want to introduce you to two ancient practices that are gifts from God to you. And if you practice them, they'll center your life. They'll restore you. They'll replenish you. They'll give you an anchor. First, a little bit about my own spiritual journey. Um, After I decided to follow Jesus, no one gave me like a blueprint for how to create a rhythm of life or even a philosophy for life. And um, I was not clear on actually how to have a personal relationship with God. I heard those words from the pulpit all the time, a personal relationship, personal relationship, to the point where those words like actually had no meaning to me. And I didn't know really how, how do you have that. Um, and so you'd pray the sinner's prayer, and then now you have this personal relationship with God. And I wasn't exactly sure how to communicate with God or how to be with him. And even today, it sounds so mystical, but it wasn't and it isn't. And I did learn that I could hear God every day through the scriptures and through that still small voice in my spirit. That put me on this remarkable journey and adventure of learning how to tune in spiritually to hear what God was saying. I've walked with God for 55 years. I, I know it's, that sounds so old. Uh, but, but over the years, I've learned a lot about devotions, and I've learned a lot about being with God. And being with God each day is the deepest joy of my life. It's, it's the anchor of my life. And so all the different stories and struggles and challenges that we face throughout our entire life, I can't imagine going through those without that anchor. But it's a lot like exercise. It's something that we can all benefit from, but we struggle to do. You know, physical exercise and spiritual devotions are very similar in these ways. Uh, Charles Duhigg, in in his book, The Power of Habit, they did a study on why do people exercise. And 92% of the people said that they habitually exercised because it made them feel good. They, They grew to crave the endorphins and other neurochemicals that were provided in the workout. Another group of people that they surveyed, the reason they worked out regularly is 62% said that they work out because it gave them a sense of accomplishment. They were driven by that sense of setting a goal and accomplishing it. That's the way they were wired. And, and through tracking their performances, it kept them motivated. And there was a sense of reward. Uh, a third group, I would say, that work out, we work out so that we can eat whatever we want, right? Right? But I think um, in either case, the person who works out habitually has what's called a simple cue. And that triggers the workout each day. What I mean by that is it could be that you lay out your tennis shoes and your gym shorts and your clothes the night before at the foot of your bed. Or it could be that in the morning, the, the moment you start to lace up your tennis shoes, you begin to feel that crave, I'm, my body, I'm getting ready to go do a workout. Similar things motivate a person to exercise spiritually. There is a literal feel-good craving that comes from being in the presence of God. There is goodness in the presence of God. It's okay to feel good and enjoy the presence of God, to become centered in his presence. And when you do that, you begin to think clearer. 
Uh, you have thoughts that are smarter than you are. You have clarity for your day and for your life. It feels good to be in God's peace and to rest in his peace. And many people who practice being with God will tell you it anchors their life. Being with God becomes the place that you go to simplify your hurried life. The Bible is to your soul what bread is to your body. You literally feel a spiritual nourishment that happens when you read it. And like exercise, after you journal your time with God, you have this sense of accomplishment. There's a sense of order that the ancients called it living with a well-ordered heart. And there are many ways that you can learn how to commune with God, just as there are many ways that you can exercise physical and spiritual muscles. And each one of us, think about this, we get to discover our own spiritual habits for ourselves. There's no perfect way. There's, there's not only one way. There, there are many ways that we can do devotions and be with God. And just like physical exercise, you can easily turn a good spiritual thing into a chore and lose all your joy. You can do that, but that's not the purpose of devotions. It's actually a time of enjoyment, a time of being with God. I don't even like the word discipline because it, 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 our minds go places that it doesn't need to. It's, it's about a re, an actual relationship of communing with him. And so there's all kinds of Bible studies. There's all kinds of Bible reading plans and all kinds of great devotional books. I taught on two great methods uh, when we did the Best You series back in January, part two. You can go on the podcast and listen to that. Two time-proven, tested ways uh, to have devotions with God. But today I want to share with you two ancient treasures for connecting with God throughout your day. And it's found in two passages of Scripture. And uh, inside of your programs, you can go ahead and turn out or pull out your, uh, your inserts. You can follow along on here. It'll also be on the screen. But I want to begin reading in Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to God just as he has done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any God or human being except to you, your majesty would be thrown into the lion's den? That famous story about the lion's den. It was his habit, so much a habit, that they knew that they could go at a certain time of day and they would find him praying. And then hundreds of years later, in the book of Acts, in the early church, the apostles, it says in Acts 3, verse 1, one day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. At the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. Jesus regularly prayed and communicated with his father. He said, He only did what he saw his father doing. Now, there's two camps when it comes to practicing God's presence during our day. One camp kind of leans toward spontaneously checking in with God as you feel led, and that's wonderful. The other establishes set times to create habits throughout your day as reminders to practice the presence of God. It's like exercise. One person says, well, I do it when I feel like it. I go, I go with the flow each day with my exercise program. And the other says, well, if I don't set a time and have a plan to exercise, I actually won't do it. 
the revolutionary practice that Daniel and David and Jesus and millions of followers, Jesus' followers, have done is what has been called the daily office. Daniel set aside three times, think of it like going into an office three times a day to pray, morning, midday, and in the evening. And that was called the daily office. King David in scripture, it says that he prayed seven times a day. He had seven times a day that were trigger points for him to go to God in worship. The apostles that we read about after Jesus ascended, uh, they went to the temple multiple times a day. And uh, in Pentecostal or charismatic circles, we're taught, uh, we're taught the value of set times of prayer, but not so much in, in the sense that uh, it's more about we just want to kind of be, if you will, led by the Spirit and that kind of thing. But the truth of it is every major religion, including Christianity, actually practice set times of prayer. Now, the resistance to having set times is, of course, if you become uh, you know, legalistic or it becomes like this meaningless rote tradition where you're not actually connecting with God, you're just trying to please God and you don't want to feel guilty. Those are all the wrong reasons to spend time with God. So when this happens, when it becomes like a form of discipline and a drudgery that's motivated out of fear and guilt, well, of course, who wants to do that? But that was and is not the purpose of the daily office. Our attitudes about it makes all the difference in the world. So what is the purpose of having set times or a daily office? It's about you creating a rhythm of stopping to be with God at set times in order to cultivate our personal relationship with God throughout our day so that we prefer the love of Jesus above all else. It helps me to have these times so that my love goes back to what matters most in my life. And so the daily offices just serves as reminders to practice the presence of God. It can last two minutes. It's just, it's just focusing on God for that, that two-minute period. It can be 15 minutes. It can be longer. It's not about a length of time. It's about a goal of reconnecting back with God, breathing, <laughs> you know, catching your breath in your day, refocusing your life on what matters most, and it's a very life-giving habit that's just as natural as breathing. You see, you already eat at set times of the day. You have a routine. I have a certain routine every single morning, every single day. We all have patterns already. So this isn't like some burden that you add. Spiritual growth, though, is not automatic. Any more than physical fitness is automatic. And so the daily offices, usually you start with a morning devotion of some kind and then check in with God in the midday, and then at bedtime. Now, the word office comes from a Latin word, opus, which means work. And in the early church, the daily office thought was this. It is our work to, to the pursuit of knowing God. It's not work like a negative sense. It's that this is my life work. This is my life purpose. Is I, I really want to know God, and I want to make my days count. And so throughout Israel's history, the early church uh, believers had their versions of the daily office. And then about A.D. 525, a good man named Benedict began to structure these prayer times around eight daily offices, seven throughout the day and one very late at night. King David, as I said, had seven daily offices. The apostles, did you know this, after Jesus' ascension, as followers of Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, they prayed the first hour of the day, 6 a.m., 9 a.m., the third hour, 12 noon, that was the sixth hour, 
3 o'clock in the afternoon, that's the ninth hour, and at 6 in the evening or at their bedtime. Most people practice the daily office morning, midday, and in the evening. But the goal is not a legalistic burden. It's about a daily craving that you find that the more you connect with God, the more you want to be with him. Stopping to be with God is a way of learning to practice his presence. And so God's built every one of us in this room differently. And what works for one doesn't work for another. You get to choose the length, the time, the place, whatever inspires you, whatever works for you. Think of it like you're creating small little chapels throughout your day that you check in with God. Right now, you have a habit of checking your texts on a regular basis, checking Twitter, Instagram, Facebook on a regular basis, emails. We already have habits on a regular basis. No one says, oh, this is a burden. It's just a way of life. It's something you do. This idea of checking with God It's not a hardship. It's not a guilt trip. It's learning a healthy rhythm in your life. So I want to share with you five elements of an effective daily office. The first there in your notes, you can follow along, is silence, stillness, and centering. We stop and just withdraw to a quiet place. That could be your car. You know, uh, go out of the cafeteria, go out of the lunch, wherever you work, just go out and sit in your car. It could be in your bedroom, in the family room. You can go to a park. You can go for a jog. You can go for a walk. It's just I'm going to withdraw for a moment with God. I'm going to go and be with him. In Psalm 37, 7, it says, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. The message uh, paraphrase says it this way, Quiet down before God. Be prayerful before him. It could be seconds. It could be minutes. It could be longer. I love this in Psalm 46, 8. The message says, Attention all, step out of the traffic. (laughs) Take a long, loving look at me, your high God, above politics, above everything. We can all benefit from some kind of daily routine with being with God. And so each daily office usually begins with about just two minutes of silence. You just zone in, and it ends with two minutes. It's a time of letting go of the tensions of your day the distractions, all of that. Think about how wound up you get. Think about how angry you get. Think about how stressed you get. Think about developing a rhythm now of being with God that lets you wind down. What you're doing is you're creating a holy moment within your day. Number two is scripture. Less is more. Read a portion of scripture slowly, aloud if possible. Chew on it. Let the words go over and over in your spirit. Meditate on it. And then a devotional reading. Uh, Read it slowly. Read it prayerfully. A devotional can help kind of center you because sometimes your thoughts are going all over. So sometimes it helps to have one. Um, A question to ponder. If you get a devotional book that maybe always asks you a question, that's good. And then prayer. A large part of my Christian experience uh, in terms of written prayers is that that written prayers in, in my Christian background were were thought of as less spiritual, which is odd to other liturgies because that's all they do is written prayers and read, wrote prayers and so forth. And so, but the Bible is full of written prayers. All through the Bible are written prayers that you can pray and that you can journal. And being led to write down your prayers can be a great way to focus your thoughts and your heart because you have to really engage with what am I really wanting to say to God? The Lord's Prayer is perhaps the most powerful written prayer of all time. And that's a great way to end 
your daily office, just reciting the Lord's Prayer. How do you get started? You just choose your daily office times. You say, you know what? I'm, I've never done this at all. I'm just going to start with the morning. Or I've been doing the morning for a while, so now I'm going to start checking in at midday. Or I'm going to do it in the evening. Uh, you set your iWatch or your smartphone or your Fitbit or whatever to a desired time that a little alarm goes off or your calendar that lets you know. Choose a devotional book that, that you really like, that you find inspiring. I listed several there uh, in your program for you. There's another one you can add, Every Day in His Presence by Charles Stanley. That's a really, really good one. The main thing is enjoy. Enjoy these as many getaways each day with God. Mix it up. Go for walks. Go for drives. Listen to worship music. Keep your love alive. It's a relationship. Keep your love alive. William James, in 1892, he said, all of our life is but a mass of habits. You already have habits. What I'm presenting is creating this habit and how it could literally change your life. We all have different habits. If exercise is left up to chance, chances are it will not happen. If your spiritual growth has no plan, chances are it will not happen. But people with great habits live great lives. They have routines. And if you'll spend time with God during your day, you'll find your love and and relationship with him increasing. You'll have richer and deeper times with him. You'll find more peace in your life. You'll have less worry in your life. You'll create within your life a quiet life of goodness that's your refuge from the rest of the world. Psalm 23, think about this. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. Have moments in your day where you let him do that. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The second ancient practice that's a gift from God to your life and to your family is called the Sabbath. The word Sabbath comes from the Hebrew word, and it means to cease to stop working, period. And it's given as a commandment to create a healthy rhythm in your week. It goes like this. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery. And then here's the commandment. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On on it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servants, nor your animals, nor foreigners residing in your town. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that's in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. None of the Ten Commandments are suggestions. None of them are now obsolete or old or archaic or out of date. Each one is a healthy guardrail for your life. Each one protects your family creates health in your family, creates margin for your family. In the New Testament, we're taught that every day is a Sabbath or every day is to be lived as a Sabbath or a holy day. That's what I was talking about in these daily offices. You're learning how to rest throughout your day. The truth was never meant to take away the gift of the Sabbath as being part of your life. And what's been lost is our understanding of how really refreshing a real Sabbath is. One theologian said, To fail to see the value of simply being with God and doing nothing is to miss the heart of Christianity. Our lives are meant to be lived from a Sabbath rest 
And from a place of rest, we begin to go work. Most of it, work, work, work to try to get a Sabbath. You've got to reverse that in your mind and order. You start with your Sabbath. You establish it. You protect it. You identify it. And then out of that Sabbath rest, you go to work. So Sabbath is an invitation from God to rest and to enjoy your one and only life. The people of God in Egypt, they were slaves to society. They worked seven days a week without rest. They never had a day off. They never experienced a healthy rhythm of work and rest. They were were living for, uh, there's these endless tasks that they had to perform and one day blurred to the next day to the next day. If you're doing that, if you're working seven days a week, you're a slave. There's nothing healthy or good about that for you or your family. So here's what God's done is he's given us all a snow day. A snow day. How many of you have had the weird sensation of getting sick and then being glad you got sick because you stayed home and rested? That's so sad, right? But a snow day is when the school's shut down and everybody's free to frolic, all the schedules are off, and everybody just enjoys themselves. A Sabbath is a time to enjoy a new hobby, take up cooking, go for walks, read, browse the shops, play games, barbecue, you know, watch a movie, take a nap, play flag football, roll in the grass, whatever you want. Enjoy an unhurried day of just being. So here's four principles of the Sabbath. Number one is stop. Stop doing and embrace your limits. God's God. I'm a human being, not a human doing. I need rest. I need peace. I need a quality of life. And the Sabbath puts, puts God back on the throne. It's recognizing um, the world does not fall apart when I turn off my phone or my computer. Sabbath reminds us to be still and know that he's God, to stop worrying about tomorrow. The core issue in stopping is, is trust, that if I stop, God will take care of all my concerns and worries, and that I'll actually do better and be more productive the rest of the week. Sabbath is similar to the revelation of tithing. Tithing is about trusting, giving 10% of your income to the local church, and it's trusting God and believing that if I do that, that God will take care of all the rest. The Sabbath week is saying, I'm giving you my life and my rest, believing that the rest of my week will go well. It's a revelation. You'll be so much more healthy emotionally. You'll be replenished. You'll be encouraged. Sabbath days allow you to walk slowly through your day having relaxing, unexpected conversations with other people. It's wonderful. You're talking to your neighbor who you never talked to. Conversation with a family member, a shopkeeper. You're not in any hurry. It's your Sabbath. It's being on vacation at your home. Sabbath days invite you to enjoy gardening or whatever it is that you enjoy doing. The second thing, you stop first and then you rest. Whatever replenishes you, whatever you delight in for your Sabbath, read a novel, take a nap, do tasks. Pick another day for your chores. Don't do chores. Don't do bills on Sabbath. That will not be restful. Do the chores, you know, one of the other evenings or one of the other half days. Do chores at a different time. Do errands at a different time. That's not a Sabbath. Sabbath is your time to rest from work, physical exhaustion, hurriedness, multitasking, competitiveness, worry, decision-making, catching up on errands, talking, technology. You rest from all of that. 
Most of us actually never enjoy a true Sabbath. You have what you call a day off, which you end up just doing a bunch of stuff. That's not a Sabbath. Just imagining right now a true Sabbath makes you feel a longing to do one. Because you need it. Take one this week. Pick a day, doesn't matter what day, say, this is going to be my Sabbath, and you're, you will be so surprised what just one day of a true Sabbath, how quickly you'll get replenished. It's remarkable. The third thing is delight. On Sabbaths, we're called to enjoy, delight in creation, slow down, pay attention to food, smells, tastes, enjoy life. It's a gift from God to enjoy life. Take time to drink in the beauty of a tree or a leaf or a flower or the sky or a sunrise or a sunset. Just slow down and just be because it's your Sabbath. You're giving yourself permission to be. Enjoy the senses that God's given you. The, when the sun does come back out, enjoy the warmth on your face. Enjoy the earth as your playground. Play. Enjoy sports. Dance. Games. Look at family pictures, visit a museum, do random things you would never normally do in your right mind. It's just being, and it's having meaningful times with God throughout your day. And then number four, contemplate. The Sabbath is holy to the Lord, meaning that pondering the love of God is central to the focus of your Sabbath. That's what's going to give you multiple compound rest if you're enjoying God on your Sabbath. Just feasting on his presence. Read read the scriptures. Read a lot of scriptures that day. Enjoy some silence. The Jewish tradition Sabbath started on on Friday at sundown at dinner, and then it it ended Saturday sundown at dinner. You can pick whatever Sabbath works best for your schedule or your family, but just make sure all your other tasks are on another day. I personally, my Sabbath is on Tuesdays because my rhythm and my work week, Tuesdays are my Sabbath, and it's a gift of precious time. It's like being snowed in at Lake Tahoe and just unplugging from all of it. It's absolutely remarkable to wake up when you want to on a Sabbath and go do what you want when you want with no expectation of any kind. Think about this. God has given you 52 days of rest. Some of you are worried about how many vacation days you have at work. God's already given you 52 days in every year. 52 days? That's nearly two months of rest. That's absolutely remarkable. And if you practice daily times with God each day, you know, the daily habit of being with God, and then one day a week on the Sabbath, oh my gosh, you're going to experience such a healing, a renewing, a recentering of your life and joy. The goal is learning the enforced rhythms of God's grace. You've got to find a rhythm for your life that's healthy, or you'll just get swept away by all the demands. And so we recommend daily offices, many Sabbaths, and a once a week Sabbath. And most of us, if you think about this, are living off other people's spirituality. It's through podcasts, preachers on Sunday. We're living, we're reading good Christian, we're reading about what everybody else is doing for the Lord. When I was a young man, what burned in my heart was I didn't want to read about everybody else's exploits. I wanted to do them. I wanted to have a living relationship with God. I wanted to hear from God. I wanted dreams from God. I wanted visions for God. I wanted to walk with God. I wanted to experience God. Part of growing into spiritual adulthood is you learn how to nourish the interior relationship that you have with Jesus. And that takes silence. 
It takes pausing. It takes stopping and reflecting on a daily basis. We've got lots of people who have a knowledge about God, but they don't know God because they actually don't spend time with him. Even reading the scripture is just something they have to do. The Sabbath is a revolutionary gift to you from God. Can you imagine the Jews in the wilderness getting their first Sabbath after 400 years of slavery? Can you imagine how hard it, you think it's hard for you to put down a phone and a computer? Can you imagine your parents' parents and your life every day, seven days a week, you've slaved, and now you're supposed to rest for a day? Can you imagine their first few Sabbaths, what that was like for them? Stop, rest, delight, 24 hours, do nothing for 24 hours. It gives you limits. It gives you structure. It puts God back on the throne. So what day of week? You get to pick it. If your time's with God each day, your Sabbath, you get to decide when it's going to happen for you. And I believe these are great gifts for your life and your rhythm. So some of us have tried to have daily devotions, right, and have not been successful. Others have a hard time concentrating. Uh, all of us are busy. There's no one that does, no one says, you know, I'm never busy. You know, I'd be like, who, who would say that, right? So rather than spend time with God and listening to his voice, we let others spend time with him, and then we benefit from their experience. And I just want to say as your pastor, I, I love you so much. I just can't imagine if every Sunday I communicate with you and never communicated to you about the importance of you so enjoying your own relationship with Jesus. I mean, would you hire somebody else to go experience God for you? Would you want to do that? I mean, would you say to somebody, hey, you know what? Vacations are such a hassle. Why don't you go on vacation for me? Would you do that? I don't think so. I think I would want to experience the vacation myself, the rest myself, right? Certainly, do you want do you want romance? Would you would you say to somebody, "Hey, go experience romance for me," or do you want to experience romance? You know, do you want to give away the kiss or do you want to enjoy the kiss? Do you want to experience a relationship with God or just have someone else experience the relationship with God so you can get the benefit of the teaching? Eating, I don't want anybody eating for me. <laughs> at all. I want to enjoy that. I don't want to, oh, I'm so, I'm so tired, or, oh, it's, it's morning, I've got to eat again. Oh, it's lunch, I've got to eat again. Oh, it's evening, I've got to eat again. That's not what spending time with God is. It's a craving. It's, you enjoy it. It's just so enjoyable. I can't imagine not doing that. Why would you want somebody else to do that for you? I want to do that. I want to have a firsthand experience with God. I want to close with this, these verses that, to me, puts all of this in perspective. And it's found in Matthew 11. You know it as, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And I love the way the translation or message unpacks this. It says, are you tired, worn out, burn out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. The goal of being with God in your devotions and daily offices is to come away. He says, I'll show you how to take a real rest. Spending time with God is not work. It is not a drudgery. It is not a discipline. It's a spiritual habit that renews you. And if it doesn't, you're doing it all wrong. It's a releasing of worry. It's a releasing of care. It's this 
today he told me how excited he is about that I'm talking about this. And I told him how excited I am to share this. It's about a living relationship that we enjoy together. And then he says, walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Isaiah 64, for since the world began, no eye has seen, no ear has heard a God like you who works for those who wait. If you'll put him first in your day, he'll work for you the rest of the day. You put him first in your week, he'll work for you the rest of the week. Everything goes better. And then he says, I love this part, learn the enforced rhythms of grace. Devotions, daily offices, create rhythms of grace in your day. And then he says, I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Don't try to do it my way. Find your own rhythm. Find your own method. Find your own flow. Find your own. I've got like, I don't know how many different devotional books. A lot of them I just want to throw away. They don't inspire me. They don't move me. And I have to find what what I like, what does inspire me, what does encourage me. Don't do anything ill-fitting. Don't try to do, don't make this a burden. Enjoy it. And then he says, keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. (laughs) So enjoy being with God this week. Enjoy his presence. Have a real Sabbath this week, and see how it changes everything in the undercurrent of your life. Let's pray. Father, we love you so much. It's so great to just um, be in your presence and to sense your peace here today, the fullness of joy of just worshiping you, receiving your grace and your love in our lives, Lord God, and how you so long to be with us, how much you enjoy it to be with us, how much you want to be a part of our lives. And I just pray that you would impart a fresh deposit of a deep hunger in everyone's heart here to crave being in your presence. In Jesus' name.